0: Coming up on Chasing the Natty, spring camps are just around the corner and we're going to rapid fire through as many of those camp battles as possible today. Who do we think are the starting quarterbacks of some of the top programs in the country? Which skill position battles are flying under the radar right now? Are there any position battles that are being widely discussed that really just may not matter in the end? We'll have all of this and more coming right after this. Harrison, junior touchdown, marvelous mark. Home next to the ultimate drop down for Franklin. A majestic
1: touchdown.
0: This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. Alright, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty Podcast. Hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. I enjoyed a very long, long ride back from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, God, when did I get back? Two days ago, I think? Yeah, so I got back on Friday. So are recording this on Sunday. So that was a fun trip. Um, Nate, oh, good lord. We're starting off rough today, y'all. Nate, you're here. <laughs> How are you doing today, sir? Uh,
1: I'm doing okay. Maybe a little bit better than you. I'm not sure yet. We'll find out. But, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I'm doing better today. I was pretty under, pretty ill on, uh, Friday. I had a really sore throat. So, but you know, like, like Michael Jordan and the flu game his uh, his team needed him when he was, you know, at, the, at, at crucial moments. So here I am. I'm, I'm battling through, and uh, I'm going to find a way to have a really good show today and, uh, you know, not let this throat thing uh, drag me down here.
0: Well, I am very appreciative of you being here, Nate. Uh, but the unfortunate thing is that we have a lot to talk about, so we're not going to give your voice any kind of rest today. We're going to be talking about spring camp battles today. Nate and I were kind of discussing before we got to this episode we're i don't want to say we're behind the we're behind compared to where other people but a lot of other shows that you're probably listening to out there in the college football world in the college fantasy world they've already started talking about spring camp battles we've been talking about other stuff coaching changes especially the last couple of weeks but we did feel the need to discuss a lot of these spring battles that are coming up in the next couple of weeks so we figured all right what's something that we can do that's a little different well we basically came down to we're going to cover a lot of them today and we're going to go through them very fast We're going to give you the very basics on a lot of these position battles And then with a couple of ones later that haven't really been widely discussed We're going to slow it down and then we'll really dive deep into those but Buckle up everybody today is going to be a very very fun one um, Yeah with that being said before we get too far into this you know guys I got to give my spiel The thing is that if you want to support what we're doing here for College Fantasy, make sure you first go over to campusdecanton.com and subscribe there where we have all of our written content, including Nate's incredible, incredible coaching change articles that he has been putting out recently. Every if a school has a new offensive play caller, you are going to hear about it in the coming weeks as Nate puts all of those out. Absolutely incredible stuff. And then we have everything else you need on the website for all of your CFF, C2C, and DEVI fantasy needs. Got a ton of great stuff coming your way. We got ADP coming out. Our rankings are up on the site. Again, tons and tons of great stuff. Make sure you go subscribe over there. Make sure you also subscribe to this YouTube channel. Again, it's free. Not really asking much of you. Just hit that like button right down there and leave a comment or two. Again, I love discussing things with you guys down in the comments. So don't be... Shy. In addition, make sure you follow myself on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. You can follow Nate at CFF Nate. You can also make sure you're following the show's account, the at Chasing the Natty. Again, we're trying to get to that to 500 followers as quickly as possible. And if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you are following us wherever you're listening. And also, if you can, leave those five star reviews and especially those written five star reviews. Make sure you know where that is because we got some cool stuff coming your way that's going to be involving those five star reviews. With that being said, Nate, you have anything else you wanted to discuss before we kind of get into this? Because I just realized I mentioned that I went to Columbus, Ohio, and I didn't even talk about the fact that I went to Ohio State Stadium for the first time.
1: <laughs> how was it?
0: It was – it's – so the actual – How to
1: compare to what you're used to uh, with Georgia.
0: So it's taller. Like it okay. is – like so Sanford Stadium, like it has, a, it has a couple of rows, but like each of those rows aren't as um, – like the height of them isn't as big as Ohio State as Ohio Stadium, it's very very intimidating when you're inside that stadium. Like I was trying to imagine like all those seats filled, and it is a again, great great stadium. The thing I was a little disappointed in was less like the actual field and like the seats and everything and like everything behind it. I don't know maybe it was the entrance that I came in on, but like it's not a pretty stadium on the inside. Like or like. Again, I keep saying the inside. It's weird to describe this. It's like that area in between the outside of the stadium and the field. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Like they didn't they didn't really do much to kind of zhuzh that up. But again, otherwise, it was great to finally be there. I wore my Georgia National Championship shirt in the middle of the stadium because, you know, I'm just like that sometimes. But again, it was impressive.
1: I think with a lot of these stadiums, it's really about the game day atmosphere. Whenever you're there, so if you're not if you're not there during a game, there's probably a, a level of the prestige and 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 majesty that goes along with it. I know of I've course. been to, I recently went to um, Allen Fieldhouse where the Kansas Jayhawks play basketball, yeah. and you know that's a legendary basketball. Place, but if you if you look at it from the outside, and even when you're there on the inside, you're like, God, this place is it's it's not all that impressive from, uh, you know, a- aesthetics standpoint. But mm-hmm. when they fill it up with fans and it's a close ball game and it's you know it's just rocking, then it's of like, course. okay, now I get it. Now I oh, get it.
0: No, Sanford's the exact same way. Like if you look at Sanford without any kind of fans in there, yeah, it's not a it's not a super impressive looking stadium. It is kind of cool right. that it's kind of built into the side of the hill, but at the same time, like. You know, but yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I, I want to go back one day when there's actually fans in the stadium, it's just during the fall time, I do not have the expenses to travel. True. So, and the only reason why I was even up there is because uh, it was a trip that was paid for by the precast conc- Concrete Institute. So, nice, Alrighty. With that being said, yeah, let's get right into this main segment here again. Today, we're gonna go rapid fire on these spring battles, y'all. What's going to happen here is the first 12 that we're going to be talking about here today, Nate and I, in order to, you know, be able to go home at one point, because if we just did our normal pace, we would be here until Kingdom Come. The first 12, we're going to limit it to 90 seconds for us to discuss. So we're going to go through these really, really quickly. Hold on to your butts. And to keep us accountable with this, I have one set up a timer on the show so if you're watching this on youtube you'll be able to see the timer and for those of you listening on podcast every time that we are finished with a segment you're going to hear this sound and whenever that sound goes you're going to know that we're moving on to the next one even if Nate is in the middle of a sentence I'm going to cut him off and we're (laughs) going to move on and then the last 10 again the last 10 we kind of picked out these are lesser discussed battles and pretty some pretty interesting ones out there uh and have a lot to be discussed so we're gonna extend the timer a little bit on those probably about four to five minutes and then we'll keep it going from there that being said nate are you buckled in sir are you ready for this because this we're we're gonna go through this really really quickly
1: I'm ready for the thread, man. Let's do it.
0: Alright, again, the first couple here, just to remind everybody, these are ones that have either been discussed to death, you've heard it on a ton of different other shows, but we still felt like we needed to get our opinions out there about it, or we felt like there wasn't really that much to discuss. It's pretty easy which way this might be going. Alright, timer getting ready in three, two, Alright, first one we got up here is the UCLA quarterback battle. This is the big one when it comes to... Can a true freshman start over a potentially experienced quarterback? I tend to lean towards the experienced quarterback, in which case that is Colin Schley here. However, he is making a pretty big jump up here from the Mac to the Pac-12. The Mac to the Pac, it's a pretty big jump. Um, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly which one of these QBs is in the driver's seat. I don't think it's going to be kept hidden for very long. Good Lord, this time is going by so quickly because I want to save daytime for 45 seconds. Um, <laughs> my, my last point is that, uh, again, people keep saying that Schley disappointed and that's why they're on Dante Moore. I don't think Schley really disappointed last year because he's really never 100%. Uh, and they forced him back out there because, man, Kargman was not a good quarterback. Anyway, good Lord, I can't keep up with this. Nate, go.
1: <laughs> I'm Team Schley. I-, I guess I'm carrying that torch for a lot of the guys at C2C. And that's no knock on Dante Moore. I like Dante Moore. It's crazy impressive to start like all four years of your high school career, um, and I think he will put up a really good fight. If it, if we're talking specifically about week one, I like Colin Schley, um, and he's going to have to show himself throughout the season. Otherwise, Dante Moore will, you know, be somebody that could win that job later as the season goes on.
0: The great news is that either one of these guys are going to be great CFF quarterbacks, whoever starts. All right, moving on to our next one. You heard the sound real, there, y'all. No, real Nate, we got to move on. We got to move on. For, okay.
1: clarifi- for clarification purposes, are we talking specifically about week one or are we talking about, uh, you know, end of the season or who ends up being the most fantasy relevant out of the two? What, what exactly are the qualifications here? Which
0: one are you drafting in CFF right now, Nate? Okay. That is how I would frame this. So... Moving which on one to, am I drafting first? Which one are you drafting first? Uh, yeah, pro- okay. probably a good call. Yeah, which one are you drafting first? All right, next quarterback battle. Moving on here. Restarting the timer here real quick. There we go. We are on to the Alabama quarterback battle. Again, lots of big schools have quarterback battles here. And really, this is the one that I think is the closest out of the bunch. You got Jalen Milrow. You got Ty, Ty Simpson. I am leaning towards Jalen Milrow as of right now. Again, I tend to lean towards guys who have actually started a game. Even if Milrow wasn't exactly the most inspiring quarterback in the world, that experience does mean something now. You got a new offensive coordinator, so then maybe that resets things a little bit. But at the same time, I think Milrow, with a full season of number one reps under his belt, could really be an incredible CFF asset for this next upcoming year, especially if he can improve in the passing game. Nate, go ahead, sir.
1: So I've done a 180 on this one. Uh, I was Team Milrow, if you'd ask me towards the end of last season. Uh, however, I think with the Tommy Reese hire, uh, he requires a lot of timing, precision with his offensive scheme. Uh, I think that fits Simpson a little bit better. We still don't know what kind of player Simpson truly is at this level because we haven't really seen him. However, I know that doesn't really fit what Milrow does. Um, so I lean Simpson as of right now. It also wouldn't shock me if we see packages for Milrow just because he's that level of an athlete. So I, I think that Ty Simpson is the guy I would place my bet on right now.
0: Yeah, I, I wish I could pull up what the ADP on both of these guys are because they're they're going relatively right around the same range so far in mocks. So. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, there's the sound. We got to move on. Let's go on to our next QB battle here. Reset the timer real quick. There we... Oop, hold on. Oops, turn that off. Oh, my goodness. There we go. Got the timer going now. Let's go to the Ohio State quarterback battle again. We're talking in tons, a, tons of top-tier programs, having quarterback battles here. To me, this one's not even a question. This will be Kyle McCord, who will be the starting quarterback for Ohio State. Um he's performed well in relief duty he also has a one start versus Akron to me he's a plug and play guy and he also just straight up wouldn't be here still if he didn't have some kind of security that he would be getting the starting job this year over Devin Brown that's kind of where I stand on it and quite frankly I think it's where a lot of people stand right now because of where Kyle McCord is getting drafted compared to where Devin Brown is so Nate your thoughts here
1: yeah, this one's pretty easy for me as well. I'm I'm with Kyle McCord. Uh, he's been in the system longer. He's actually started a game, and he looks solid doing it uh, a couple years ago. You know, I think Brown's uber-talented, but he is going to have to have an amazing spring and fall camp in order to take over uh, Kyle McCord as that week one starter. So I think if you are drafting here, it, it, you, you have to take Kyle McCord first. But this is definitely a situation where – because of Brown's talent level, um, you know, I, it it would make sense maybe to handcuff Kyle McCord if you are one of his own, if you are an owner of him, and uh, and take Brown, you know, late in the late in the draft.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I definitely enjoyed last year when Devin Brown was being drafted very highly in dynasty leagues, and I got Kyle McCord at a very big discount. There's a sound moving on to the next quarterback battle. Here we have. To go over to the Texas Tech Red Raiders, where we have to discuss the starting quarterback battle again this offseason. Nate, I felt like we discussed this about 17,000 times last offseason, but here we are again with Tyler Shuck and Baron Morton. To me, this one is once again easy. I love Baron Morton, he is a great talent, but quite frankly, the, the coaching staff has just shown me time and time again that when they get the choice, Tyler Shuck is the guy that they are putting out there now. Tyler Shuck is very, very injury prone. So he, absolute, Morton is absolutely worth handcuffing to him if you're in a deep enough league for that. Because again, it's Zach Kittley's system. Both of these guys could run this system, but right now it has to be Shuck that you're drafting higher in your leagues. Nate, where are you going with this?
1: Yep, um, I'm going to agree with you. Very similar to what we talked about with Ohio State. Uh, you know, Tyler Shuck came back after injury last year towards the end of the season when Baron Morton got hurt. Uh, and they just simply played too well against Oklahoma at the end of the year, too well in their bowl game when they beat Ole Miss. Um, you know, I, I think that they're going to be leaning pretty heavily towards him. It would, again, similar to Ohio State, it would take a really strong showing from Baron Morton in the spring to kind of change people's mind on that. Um, like you mentioned, Shuck gets injured a lot, so it doesn't mean we've seen the last of Baron Morton. Uh, yes. You know, or at least for 2023 here at Texas Tech. But really, bummer for for Baron Morton owners.
0: It definitely helps that Donovan Smith is no longer there. And we just have two Whoa. of these guys. There's a sound. Oh, moving on to oh, the next oh. guy right here. Again, top tier programs. All of them seem to be having quarterback battles this off season. A lot of changing of the guard over there. And is no- this a top tier program? Yes, yes, it is indeed. It oh, is okay. a Georgia quarterback battle over here. Double checking. Just (laughs) double-checking, not like we're back-to-back or anything. Um, Three guys in the competition here, Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stockton, all blue-chip quarterbacks. It would be great for Georgia to finally get one of those rather than a former walk-on as the head signal caller for their program, although the walk-ons worked out well for us. Anyway, uh, Carson Beck's your leader in the clubhouse here. I think it's between him and Gunnar Stockton. I think Gunnar Stockton has a slight advantage with his legs, but Carson Beck's been in the system longer. He has been waiting his turn very patiently. I fully expect him to be the starting quarterback for Georgia. The one thing that I don't really like about that is, again, Carson Beck is probably the weakest with his legs out of this bunch, which is going to make it even harder for him to be a CFF-relevant quarterback than even Setson Bennett was. So, Nate, your thoughts here?
1: Didn't you mention Stockton has a strong relationship with the uh, with the new OC?
0: Yes, he does with Mike Bobo.
1: I I'm still with you. Carson Beck is is the leader in the clubhouse for me. I don't think Brock Vandergriff's very good at football. Um we talked about that last week. I I don't think he has any chance at winning this job to be honest with you. I do think it's a two-man race. Um but you know, when it comes down to this, it's the guy that was the clear QB2 last year in yes, Carson sir. Beck and actually got some some decent amount of playing time, uh, albeit late in games, but I think he's the one that, that I would place my bet on right now. But I think Gunnar Stockton has more fantasy upside should he actually win this job.
0: Oh, 100%. Oh. All right, I would I would brag about Stetson Bennett potentially being a top f- fantasy quarterback. But we got to move on to, in my opinion, another one of these quarterback battles that a lot of people are discussing. But I think there's nothing to this. Quinn Ewers <laughs> versus Arch Manning. This is crazy to me. Again, I get it, y'all. It's a Manning. It's a five-star, number one overall recruit. Quinn Ewers wasn't that bad last year, y'all. Like, he has experience. He's going into his second year with Steve Sarkeesian again. Could he have been better? 100%. But again, his first year as a full-time starter, he's going to improve. He's going to be infinitely better than a guy who, again, quite frankly, I don't understand why Archman is still the number one overall recruit because he struggled at times time against some pretty poor competition in high school. No way, Jose, is anybody but Quinn Ewers starting for the Texas Longhorns come this fall. Nate, your thoughts here.
1: Agreed. This is this is probably the easiest one on this list. Um, we can pencil Quinn Ewers in as the starter week one, one hundred percent. Thus, you need to draft him over Arch Manning when we're talking about redraft. Obviously, however, I will say that this is an eerie similar situation to what Oklahoma had a couple of years ago when incumbent Spencer Rattler was was there Caleb Williams comes in Rattler struggled earlier in the year and then uh, by the OU Texas game there was basically a permanent switch that was made so would be kind of ironic if when struggled early on they do have Alabama again um, and then by OU Texas if he has a poor first half it would be kind of interesting to see
0: what would happen uh, in the second half of that game yeah the only thing is that I think Caleb Williams is a much better quarterback than Arch Manning moving on we're going over to your alma mater, Nate. We're going to talk about some running back battles now. And let's start this timer over again. There we go. righty, Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuck, Marcus Majors. Honestly, I could just throw Marcus Majors out of here. I don't think he's going to be any kind of valuable here this is down between Mr. Barnes and Mr. Sochak, both coming in as true freshmen last year. Barnes really has a leg up because of his RB2, pretty mu- RB2 role pretty much throughout the entirety of last season, but things kind of shifted a little bit during the bowl game. Barnes still clearly the number one back there, but he only had 108 yards on 27 carries while Sochak exploded for 100 yards on only 15 carries. Both of them had a touchdown in the game interesting to see how that might play out into next year the other thing i might add here nate again i'm trying to give you as much time here eric gray 246 touches last year that's the most ever by a jeff levy running back can we expect that again this year no
1: probably not um i think there's a high high chance at least a decent chance marcus major uh ends up transferring after the spring which actually could be kind of fun for his owners if he lands at the right spot uh, but I would lean Barnes, but Gavin Salchuk's definitely going to have a role here. He's too good to to leave off the field, uh, as we saw in that bowl game against Florida State. He looked amazing, uh, and I, I think that we see kind of a one-two punch here because uh, both Barnes and Salchuk are are good enough players to to both warrant, uh, you know, a good 15 to 18 carries a game. So I think we see something like that, but a slight edge to Barnes.
0: All right, there is the timer. Moving on to another three-way running back battle here. Going over to the Utah Utes, you got JaQuindon Jackson, Micah Bernard, and Jalen Glover. Bernard, kind of the interesting one here, because last year he was the second on the entire team in rushing, but he was the only one out of the running backs who never led a game in rushing. So very clearly, he has a locked-up RB two role. So therefore, I'm not really drafting him. I think it's down between what you think of JaQuindon Jackson. Are you and going to Jaylen start with the timer? Did I not start the timer? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Guess what Nate? You're going to ha- you're going to have even more time to talk now. There we go. It's got this timer started. Um anyway, Jackson had 3 80-yard plus games to end the year, but in each of those games he only got 10 to 13 touches. Bernard also got about 10 to 13 touches in each of those games. So, very much a split backfield, but With Jackson earning like 8.42 yards per carry, I think he's going to be earning more carries. He got also the majority of the touchdowns, six touchdowns to Bernard's two in those games. I think Jackson is your main guy moving forward, and I fully expect him to get that true RB1 carries by the start of the season. Nate, your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, we also can't forget about Chris Curry, who's returning from injury. He's healthy now. So there's actually a fourth man uh, that's kind of in the mix here. We know what Micah Bernard is, and that's not a, a bell cow uh, in this offense. So I think we can kind of scratch him off the list as the guy we would want. I think it's down to Jackson and Glover. Um, and just based off what we saw with with Jackson's pure ability running the ball towards the end of last year, we got to give him the edge right now. Especially if he's able to develop into, I mean, this is a, a converted quarterback playing running back just out of the blue last year. He didn't even, he, before the season started, he was still a quarterback. Um, if he can develop in the uh, pass pro as well, as well as pass catching, I think he can be really good. But I'm not going to give up on Jalen Glover yet, but definitely an edge to Jaquin and Jackson. Um, I, I I'm sad for my Jalen Glover shares, but we'll see what happens.
0: And there is the timer. We got to move on here. We're gonna keep. We're actually no, we're not gonna keep in the Pac-12. We're gonna go all the way to the other side of the country. We're gonna go down to Central Florida, and I'm gonna start the timer again before I forget it. <laughs> there we go. Starting the timer. Let's talk about the UCF running back battle again. You lose Isaiah Bowser, the number one running back for. Um, Gus Malzahn has been very productive for CFF in the past year. So we got to know who's up next year. And our two main options here, RJ Harvey and Johnny Richardson, RJ Harvey, another converted quarterback who used to be the quarterback over at Old Dominion transferred over or a quarterback prospect over at Old Dominion now over at UCF again, very easy one for me here. I'm going RJ Harvey all day long here. Richardson's just too small to be a bell cow back. He is five, five, nine hundred seventy five pounds. He has always been that uh, change of pace, third down, receiving back. RJ Harvey pretty much took over as soon as Bowser was injured last year. That's who I'm going with. Nate, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Johnny Richardson is quick as a hiccup, but he does not fit the profile that Gus Malzon likes with his with his Belcal running back. Bigger guy that can handle you know, a good 25 carries between the tackles. R.J. Harvey showed that at times last year. Um, I would say the one person I'd look out for more than anybody would be McDonald, the the freshman that came in last year. He's got the size. He's a good 215 pounds. Uh, But I would say right now, edge to R.J. Harvey, he proved uh, that he was actually quite a bit better than um, uh, Bowers. Bowser. uh, Bowser, sorry. He was quite a bit better than Bowser last year. So um, I think if if he gets a chance to be a Belkow, he's got pretty good upside in in this offense. Competing right. with the quarterback, though.
0: Yes, he is, indeed. All right, moving on here. Let's go ahead and move on to our next running back battle here and start the timer, Jared. All right, this is a pretty big one, the UCLA running back battle. Again, a lot of people have talked about this one. That's why we're kind of going through it here real quick. It's a little hard to project what who's up next here for UCLA. Charbonnet was the clear number one running back and did not leave much room to project an RP 2 You got Keegan Jones here, but I think Keegan Jones, much like Johnny Richardson, is going to stay in that change of pace back role. I don't think he'll be the main guy. It's down between TJ Harden or Ball State transfer Carson Steele. Harden had a great bowl game, 11 carries for 111 yards and a touchdown. Steele's definitely the more exciting prospect, but again, once again, Mac to Pack, very big jump there. And also, I just don't like Steele's ADP right now. Currently, RB nine in the third, beginning of the third round. Don't like that at all. Nate, go ahead.
1: You didn't say who you would take first.
0: Oh, I would take I would take Steele first. I just don't like okay. how high he's going.
1: Okay. So that makes sense. Um, Yeah. I think Carson Steele's the guy here. You mentioned Zach Charbonnet, transfer. The guy before him, Britton Brown, transfer. Carson Steele, transfer. We're seeing a pattern here. Chip wants to show everybody that, hey, if you come here, I will highlight you. I will send you on to the NFL. You will be a great back here for me. Uh, I think Carson Steele's the next man up. I do like TJ Harden's ability. Um, But Carson Steele, sneaky good. Do not be mistaken just because he's a white running back. This guy's got (laughs) skills, man. He can play. So give me Carson Steele.
0: There's the timer Alrighty, Let's talk about, real quick, some wide receiver battles. And then we'll get to a point where we'll slow it down, y'all. I promise. Let's... (laughs) Go over to Maryland. And the reason why I want to get through this one so quickly is because a lot of people are talking about this one. They're like, oh, Caden through Deshaun Jones, Tyree Chambers. Which one are we going to go? Guys, last year was an absolute mess at the wide receiver position for Maryland between Rakeem Jarrett, between Dante Demas, between Jacob Copeland, Deshaun Jones. Nobody really separated themselves. And I think it could be even worse this year. They bring in Kevin Sumlin. It's not like they're bringing in an offensive coordinator that we can really believe in there. Gun to my head, give me Prather probably first out of these guys. But for the most part, I'm going to avoid this room pretty much all together. Nate, do you have any differing thoughts?
1: Not too different. Uh, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. I, I actually like Caden Prather. I'm going to go with the ability here. I think he's the most talented of these three guys. Um, and I do like the other two quite a bit. But I like Caden Prather. I think he was misused at, at West Virginia. I think he's got a chance to be pretty good here. Um, Chambers proved to be... Uh, a really good deep ball threat, just kind of a big play guy there at FIU. He's taken a pretty big jump uh, in in terms of level of competition here coming to the Big Ten. Uh, so I will I will go Caden Prather, and um, I, I probably maybe am a little bit higher on the overall stock of this room and their CFF potential. Uh, I I would not be too scared about investing in any of three of these guys, just because of probably where you're going to be able to get them, which is pretty late in drafts.
0: Yeah, that's a very, very fair point. And there is the timer. And let's go ahead and talk about one last battle before we kind of slow things down here. And before I do that, reset the timer. <laughs> there we go. Sorry, y'all. I'm just so excited. Let's talk about the Kentucky Kentucky wide receiver <laughs> battle. Y'all, I'm tripping over my words so badly over here. This is basically down between talent versus system. And in those cases, I tend to lean towards the talent, which is where Tavion Robinson is as much as I love Barry and Brown. Liam Cohen has been very, very clear that he likes Tavion Robinson. Mentioned him by name in his press conference when he was announced that he was coming back over to Kentucky. That tells me a lot right there. I think both of these guys, there's a very good chance that both these guys could be CFF relevant throughout the year. But if you're going to ask me, which one am I going to invest in right now at their value? Probably gonna be Tavian Robinson. Nate, your thoughts.
1: Are the, what is the value difference between these two? I, I haven't seen but would you say their ADP is fairly close or is or is Barry and Brown going that much higher?
0: I don't think Barry and Brown's going that much higher. I can let me see if I can pull it up real quick. I'll
1: I'll just play devil's advocate here. I, I honestly, gun in my head, wouldn't know which one to choose, so I'd probably just end up getting shot. But Barry and Brown <laughs> is Baron Brown's the guy I'll choose here since you went at Robinson because I do love his talent, man. He is he is very talented. Um, he showed um a diverse skill set because he played 30% of his snaps in the slot versus 70% out wide. So uh, I think that's something that that staff values there, uh Liam Cohen, especially. So he's got the ability to kind of be a playmaker all over the field, and and he showed that as well as in the return game. So yeah, I think I think he's the closest to oh. Wandell.
0: All right, there is the timer, and just because we're slowing things down a little bit now, I can take my time (laughs) delivering this information, but Nate, you asked what the ADP difference is between these two right now. In February, Tavian Robinson, currently the wide receiver 59, going in the, if I'm doing my math correctly, I believe this is the tail end of the 10th round, and then Barry and Brown is the wide receiver 65, going right at the beginning of the 13th round. Okay. Okay. So, about, about two, three rounds difference between the two. Yes. All right, let me just go ahead and start the new timer up here at five minutes so we can talk slower now. We can take a <laughs> breath, Nate, we don't have to sound like that we're speaking a thousand words permitted over here. Ah, oh, this is so relaxing, I love this. I can take the first 15 <laughs> seconds to talk about this and I don't have to worry about it whatsoever. Anyway, let's get right into some of these battles again. We're gonna take our time with a little bit on these guys. And we're going to go out of our way with some of these. These are ones that are kind of going more under the radar. Uh, Maybe there's a lot more to talk about. Maybe these are a bit closer in terms of what we think is going to happen. But we'll start off with a doozy here first. Let's go to James Madison. James Madison, Jared. Why are we talking about James Madison? Well, y'all, in case you didn't know, Tots and Teo... The quarterback for James Madison last year was QB 19 on the season, threw for about 2,600, actually 2,700 passing yards, 25 touchdowns, and also ran for almost 400 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground. Very, very good year for Centeo, And really kind of proved that for James Madison, you don't have to be a particularly great quarterback to flourish here, which is really good news for our three candidates uh, that we have up here on the board because none of these guys are particularly inspiring. You have the incumbent backup, Billy Atkins. Last year, got some action: forty-three passes, uh, two hundred and twelve yards, and two touchdowns, but also five interceptions. Yikes! And then you bring in two transfers. You got Jordan McLeod. Last time we saw him in action was at Arizona, through fifty or seventy-three passes, four hundred eighty-one yards, two touchdowns, also five interceptions. And then you have Brett Griffiths, the younger brother of Mitch Griffiths, who has never played a single snap in college ball. So, Nate, what do we do with this here? What are we doing?
1: Uh, Yeah, I look at this the same way that you do. It's just I'm not sure that any of these guys are actually any good. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't have really thought – That much about Todd Santeo a year ago. And what's he he doing? He goes out and scores 32 total touchdowns with only five interceptions. So it's kind of hard to ignore the room now. Uh, You have my attention, James Madison. So now I got to make a decision. Um, This is probably a situation where Billy Atkins has been in the system longer than the other two. So that's got to count for something. Although... It doesn't say much when the staff goes out and gets two transfers yep. uh, in order to compete with him. That may just be a situation of a lack of depth, but at the same time, um, that doesn't look uh doesn't look great particularly for Billy Atkins. Uh, I would say probably Jordan McLeod is is maybe the best competition for Billy Atkins, maybe yes. a, a little bit of a two-horse race here. Uh, and they also tend to fit that. That profile pretty well, like Todd Santeo, where they are dual threat. Yep. Uh, at least to a certain degree. I think Jordan McLeod is quite a bit more active with his legs than Billy Atkins is, as far as their athletic standpoint. So, um, again, really close here. I, I'll, I'll go Billy Atkins just because he has that that extra um, experience in the system. But it would not shock me whatsoever if Jordan McLeod comes in and wins this job.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to lean a little bit tw- more towards McLeod here. Just, again, okay. play a little devil's advocate here. Like you said, Billy Atkins, really atrocious year last year when he did play backup. Again, 19 completions on 43 throws. I That's less than 50% completion percentage. Again, five interceptions, only two touchdowns. Just not great at all. And if this was two other younger guys that they were bringing in, I would still be leaning towards Atkins, but no, they brought in Jordan McLeod. Jordan McLeod's been kind of a journeyman, USF, Arizona, has gotten plenty of experience from plenty of different offenses here. I think they're bringing him in to be the safe floor, probably day one starter. If he continues to mess up, then maybe they give Billy Atkins a chance, but I'm definitely going to lean a little bit towards Jordan McLeod here. But the great news is that all of these guys are going super, super late in your draft. So honestly... You could probably go back to back like in like the twentieth round of your draft and just pick up Jordan McLeod and then pick up Billy Atkins in like the 21st round and shoot, You could probably do it even later than that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't have a whole lot more to add to this. I, I think that's I, I think we kind of agree exactly on this. Either one of them could win. So um late late round flyers is what we're looking at here with with pretty solid upside.
0: With very solid upset, again, QB19 for Todd Senteo last year when nobody believed in him. I'm going to end this timer early, and we're just going to go ahead and move on to our next one here. Start the five-minute timer just to keep us on track here. Let's talk about the Ole Miss quarterback battle. This kind of falls into one that I really don't think we're discussing enough and that is the battle between Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders. Again, you could talk about Walker Howard coming in five-star quarterback. I think he's a I think he's a future play for Old Miss. I think he's a guy we're looking at a year down the line. Dart really did not impress a lot of people last year when you watch him. I'll be real. I looked at his stats and I thought I was I was a bit more impressed with his stats than I was expecting to be. Uh 200 or almost 3000 yards passing, 20 touchdowns. On the ground, he had 128 carries, 614 yards. Just couldn't get any rushing touchdowns for some reason. It was like throughout the year, they gave everything to Evans. It's like the opposite of a touchdown vulture. Kind of blew me away on that. The big thing really with Dart, though, was his turnovers. 11 interceptions compared to his 20 touchdowns. I believe he had a couple of fumbles in there as well. So now Lane Kiffin brings in not one, but two Transfer quarterbacks, and he specifically brings in Spencer Sanders, a four-year starter for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Really, kind of tells you that there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of confidence that Lane Kiffin really has in Jackson Dar. He's going to have to earn that starting role again this off But as much as I say that, I don't think this is where Spencer Sanders ended wanted to be per se there was a lot of talk that like you know he shopped around looked at some of the options out there auburn in particular and then he tried to go back to oklahoma state but mike gundy said no you entered the portal you get your butt back in there and you go find yourself somewhere else you left us <laughs> and i didn't leave you such a
1: such a mike gundy move get oh, off one long guy
0: 100 but That tells me that maybe this wasn't exactly the ideal landing spot for Sanders and Lane Kiffin was just kind of taking advantage of a situation. So, Nate, your thought on Dart versus Sanders here?
1: Yeah, this is such a... It's such a hard landing spot to figure out because you would think with his experience talking about spencer sanders with his experience and with the tools that he has i mean this is a guy that has a really strong arm and is obviously a dual threat uh quarterback so you would think that there would be a lot of programs that would want to take him on and it just did not appear that it played out that way when he ended up in the portal So um, as far as between these two, which I am in total agreement with you, I think it is between Dart and Sanders um, and these two only for the job. It's probably the toughest call of any of the ones we've discussed today, at least in in my opinion. Um, If Sanders isn't the guy, then man – then why the hell do you end up here uh, of all places? I have to think that Lane kind of had this this handshake, this gentleman's agreement before he arrived. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, we're going to say you're going to compete, but you are definitely in the lead. Um, that's that's the only conclusion that I can come up with as to why he ended up there. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with you that this doesn't look great for Jackson Dart, but I don't think they're going to – I think Jackson Dart is a good enough player to where he does not just hand this job over to Spencer Sanders. I no. think it's a situation where he would, th- this is going to go down uh, and we're not going to have an answer until five minutes before game one. Um, and I think it's a situation where uh, whoever wins the job, they better continue to play well. Otherwise, there's going to be a pretty quick hook coming for him.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And like like I said, like looking at Dart's stats, pretty much the only thing that really stuck out was his turnovers. Other than that, right. again, he performed well for the most part. It's just he has some very a lot of his
1: stats were garbage time stats. So he 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 Kiffin openly was not happy with how Dart played last year.
0: No, fair enough. But but even still, like I I don't I don't um, I don't think that there's that much to clean up with Dart. Maybe a little competition will be good for him here. And again, I just looked at the ADP. Neither one of these guys are really going. Highly right now, which is crazy because again, if you do get one guy who is the clear starter throughout the season, Lane Kiffin's quarterback, pretty good value probably right now if one of these guys can hold on to that starting job. I think after discussion, I'm probably going to lean a little bit more towards Sanders because again, like it, it doesn't make sense otherwise. Right. But I agree with you that this is at, very very close. Yep,
1: I'm, I'm with you. Flight edge to
0: Sanders. Slide edge of Sanders, and let's go ahead and hit that timer here, turn it off, and let's move on here. Another G5 quarterback battle, because that's the kind of content we are bringing to you guys. We don't want to just talk about all the obvious ones. We're going to talk about the ones that are going to win you your leagues, and of course that means we're going to be talking about a Central Michigan maxion quarterback battle between Jace Bauer and Burt Emmanuel. Daniel Richardson, who has been the starting quarterback at Central Michigan for a while now, is out. He is transferred over to Florida Atlantic. And you leave behind two dual-threat guys here. And if you can get dual-threat guys in the MAC, you have to love it. The problem is, some weird stat lines between the two of these guys when they got action last year after Richardson basically got injured and called it quits for the rest of the season. Bauer had far more passing than Emmanuel. He had 59 passes, 35 completions, 435 yards, and a touchdown, but five interceptions. Also had some work on the ground: 53 carries, uh, 2- 312 yards, and four touchdowns. And then Emmanuel, when he was when Emmanuel was out there, Central Michigan basically turned into a glorified triple option team. He attempted eight passes. The entire season completed four of them for 54 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but man, he was, he was pretty much a running back in the quarterback position. 67 carries, 496 yards, seven touchdowns. Granted a lot of that came from his game against Buffalo where he went absolutely nuts. 24 carries, 293 yards and three touchdowns. But even still like, how do we project Central Michigan here, Nate, because again, like neither one of these guys are particularly great passers, and it seemed like they were kind of almost working together at times last year. They're kind of being switched in and out. Is this quarterback by committee next year for central Michigan? Because I hope not.
1: I don't think it is. Um, but let, uh, I hope I don't lose you here for a second, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give an analogy. Bert, Bert Emanuel is the guy that I would go with, and it's actually pretty easy for me out of these two. Okay. You, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said neither one of these guys are prolific passers. So that's here's why I'm going to go with Bert Emanuel. To me, in poker terms, he is what we refer to as like a straight flush draw. And he has so many different outs of ways to get a winning hand. If he wins the job outright with his rush upside He's better than Jace Bauer, in my opinion, because we're talking about two guys that are both limited in their ability to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't win the job outright, because of, again, because of his rush upside, he's still going to play a role here. He's still going yep. to see the field at times, which makes him still somewhat fantasy relevant, but it makes Jace Bauer, his ceiling is now capped because he's always going to be dealing with Burt Emanuel getting snaps in some form or fashion. Yep. Yep. And I think there's even a long-shot scenario here where Bert Emanuel, maybe Jace Bauer looks fine at quarterback. The running backs don't look so good. Burt Emanuel becomes your full-time running back, which we know in a Central Michigan offense is pretty fun to have. So um, I think that's another another uh, draw that he could have here. So that's why I say he's kind of like a straight flush draw where there's a lot of ways that he can win a poker hand here. And um, and I think that that's what makes him the the more enticing player for me.
0: That's all fine and dandy until you can't until he's playing an RB role, but Fantrax doesn't have him listed as a running back. So the only place you can play him is the quarterback position. Quite frankly, you never want to play a running back in your quarterback position. You At were, least that's how I would think. Did you see? Did you see what
1: he did against Buffalo? Yeah, you I know. Like that out of your quarterback? You're right. Okay. Yards okay. Fair. <laughs> fair. 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 No, you, I get your point though. That's a that's a stretch. But that's what I'm saying. That's the long shot. Uh, play there. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. But his rush upside is really tasty, man.
0: Yeah one 100 percent. I don't really have really anything else to say. Again, I agree with you. I would probably lean Bird Emanuel out of out of this bunch. But again, I think either one of these guys, if they start because of their dual threat ability and because it's yeah. the Mac, you get a little bit better in the passing game. I think either one of them will be a great CFF asset to have.
1: Yep, totally agree.
0: All right. Move on sound. Turn off the timer. Turn it back on. Trying to remember to make sure I check everything off on the list. I need a producer. Can we again, can we make that happen C to C? Can like I just have a producer here to click all the buttons. Anyway, let's talk about a running back battle that I have become the villain of apparently, and that is the Houston running back battle between Alton McCaskill, Brandon Campbell, and Stacey Snead. They also got a four-star running back coming in for this class. I forget his name off the top of my head. I thought I had written it down, but apparently I did not. Um, So the question here is not, in my opinion, if McCaskill is going to be the leader in carries. I think everybody agrees that when he is healthy, he's going to come back, he's going to be the leader in carries. To me, the question is, how much can he separate from the rest of the pack Brandon Campbell brought in basically to replace Alta McCaskill last year after McCaskill went down they basically just went shopping in the portal and said hey you're the best available option let's grab you he wasn't super impressive Stacey Snead on the other hand he's been there for a couple years at Houston he had 6.6 yards per carry he had a pretty good year to finish the year once he kind of got going there I still think obviously McCaskill is the most the most talented running back out of this room, and it's not out of the possibility that he comes back, picks right up where he left off from his freshman year, and you got an incredible back. I had this weird idea in my head that Dana Holderson was like this always like always tries to do a running back by committee, kind of like Billy Napier or something like that. I don't know where I got that from, so I was wrong on that front. But now the thing that is kind of holding me back is one, is McCaskill the same after the ACL tear? We've seen some guys just bounce right back from the ACL tear and they're totally fine. But also, we've seen guys who get an ACL tear and they're just never quite the same. But even if he is fine, is the coaching staff going to be more cautious with him in the future? Are they going to not get, like, not going to give him the volume that he was seeing his freshman year because again you got guys like Brandon Campbell and CeCe Sneed like again not impressive guys but they'll get the job done especially Sneed with his 6.6 yards per carry last year. Nate I know you're a big ultimate McCaskill fan what are your thoughts on this why is McCaskill going to come back and basically take over the Cougars once again?
1: I don't know if I would say I'm a big alton mccaskill fan i'm just not a fan of brandon campbell or stacy sneed so um i just don't think that they're i don't think either one of those guys are of nearly the the talent level of alton mccaskill or have even proved what alton mccaskill did two years ago uh whenever he just kind of really made a big splash in his true freshman season i think he scored what like 16 touchdowns i think he had around nuts Around 900 yards, 16 touchdowns. So really strong freshman year. Um, I think your your point about the injury, the knee injury coming off, and not knowing exactly what we're going to get is um, is well taken. M- my only rebuttal of that is is that I believe it did happen in the spring. Yes, he year, has had right? plenty so, of time. Yeah, so he's he, it's not like it happened last September, October. So he's got he's got an extra few months um, to be able to rehab and get back to where he needs to. Um, and i think this is this is likely a situation where maybe in the non-con we see them kind of ease him into it mm-hmm. uh and then he kind of takes off in conference play and 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 ticks up you know an extra five or six carries a game to to around 20 or so and he's he's a guy that's good enough receiving uh in the past game that yes. that he he could be involved in that as well too so i think that's nice um but yeah it, we're, we're talking about which guy will we draft first. It's clearly in Ald McCaskill in this case, and I think you would acknowledge that too, but yes. I I would um he's not somebody I would handcuff and he's somebody I would uh I would draft fairly confidently, you know and in, in probably the middle of uh you know around you know round 15 to 20 something like that be mm-hmm. able to be able to take him and and feel pretty confident with that type
0: of value. So currently he is going as the RB forty one, and it looks like it's going right about the round eight nine ish range. I can't do oh, the okay. math off the top of my head, so probably a little high for your taste and everything. Yeah. But like again, all all your points, well taken. The only thing I'll kind of add here, and we're gonna run out of time here, but we've we've, we've been short on the other uh, shorter on the other ones, so we can spend a little bit more time here. Um, Donovan Smith comes in. You've had Clayton Toon there. Clayton Toon is a can be a dual threat guy, so you can easily kind of rebut this and say, like, well, McCaskill did it before under a dual threat guy in Clayton Toon. But Donovan Smith really can run with his legs. And uh, to me that is just one more body in that room that's gonna take away volume from McCaskill potentially. You have any kind of thoughts on that, mm-hmm. Nate? I think Smith's going to be
1: more of a factor around the goal line, less so running okay. the ball that much. Um, so I think it could potentially cap the ceiling of, of touchdown potential. But overall, I don't think it's going to really impact the flow of the game.
0: Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Look at us. All, kind of coming together on Ultima Casco a little bit there. After, after <laughs> a, a little kumbaya moment there. Let's go and talk about Mr., uh, not Mr., Mr.'s. All the misters at Texas, Sirs. at t- oh my goodness, y'all! It is a r- I don't know what's up with me today. Texas running back battle. Let's talk about these guys: Jonathan Brooks, Cedric Baxter, Keelan Robinson. We can also throw Jaden Blue in here. But I think pretty much after the bowl game, when you know you don't have Bijan anymore, that's your chance to really kind of show your stuff. He didn't get a single carry. It was Jonathan Brooks, Keelan Robinson, and you out there. And quite frankly, you, you, I mean, Brooks and Keelan Robinson didn't really have great games either. But the fact that you didn't even get on the field, I think it's pretty much over for Jadon Blue. Especially when you have the uber-talented Mr. Cedric Baxter Jr. coming in. How I see this playing out is to start game one, you have Brooks. And I personally would not be I I personally would not be drafting Baxter at all in a redraft league. And here is why. I fully expect Baxter to take over at some point this year because just how talented he is. But I have no idea when that is going to be. And are you willing to hold on to him on your redraft roster for that long? Just so you can have a couple of good games near the end. And shoot, maybe at that point he might be the leader in carries, but maybe still a split backfield between him, Brooks, and Robinson. If you're going to take a Texas running back, I would personally lean towards Jonathan Brooks taking him pretty late and then just hoping that he holds on to the job for the rest of the year. I hope that makes sense. I feel like I, I feel like I'm saying something confusing here. Nate, am I coming across as crazy here?
1: No, I think your points well taken. Um I think that what that is if you're unwilling to take Cedric Baxter if we if we're basically eliminating this down to Baxter versus Jonathan Brooks and I, I think it's probably fair at this point to do so. Yeah. Although I'm also not totally unwilling to totally willing to just toss away Jadon Blue, but uh, I think he's I think he's really really talented. So that's why I can't yet. But um <laughs> let's let's let now- go can't let him go let's narrow it down to these two guys uh Brooks and Baxter if you're willing to say well I'm, I, I can't take him in a redraft because I don't know when he's going to take over but you're convinced in your mind he is going to take over at some time um then you're not going to be you're you're definitely um you're going to miss out on because somebody's going to take that chance yes. I think I think in redraft somebody's going to be willing to take that chance and I think it's I think it's justified that they do because we know that Steve Sarkeesian really doesn't like using running back by committee. That's never been his thing. Bishop Bishop was a monster at Washington uh, and his running backs um, at Alabama were also just, you know, total volume hogs. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that's what we probably see here as well. Um, and that's why I think if, if I had to pick between Brooks and Baxter, I would actually probably lean Baxter because I'm not sure that Brooks fits that profile, uh, as far as a, every down give, give me 25 touches kind of guy. I do think Mm -hmm. Cedric Baxter is, um, I think that he's probably learned, um, you know, from maybe his predecessor at how, the handling of Bijan Robinson went in year 1 when uh he did not get used very much early in Texas yep. uh you know probably should have used him more so it wouldn't shock me that Cedric Baxter is um actually the number one guy within a handful of games of the season so uh that's why I'd probably take him first but I agree with you that it may take a, a little bit of time to get there uh and so that's why I'm I'm not like this isn't a, a Nick Singleton situation. You know what I mean? Where again, that's going to come in and probably be the guy.
0: Well, again, that Nick Singleton's like what I can't get out of my mind and everything right now is the fact that like it, it took Singleton a little while to kind of get going uh, at Penn State. Like, again, because they had Cavon um, Lee there, Katron Allen ended up being better than a lot of us were kind of expecting there. Right. And, Quite frankly, we still, I don't think even going into this year, and we could talk about that next week if we talk ADP and everything like that. I don't think we can really count on Singleton as like a, a true workhorse back there. I feel like Cedric Baxter, again, because I just don't know when he's going to take over. I don't know what kind of value I'm getting. And quite frankly, if he continues to go, I mean, he's not, he's not as bad of a value as Singleton was in redraft last year. Maybe that changes as the year goes on. But... Definitely. I'm well, you, say keep my...
1: Singleton, you say Singleton was a bad value last year, but he still got those owners 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns, which isn't... That's not terrible.
0: Uh, to be fair, a lot of that came in the bowl game, so those owners never really saw what? that. Okay, fair enough. So, um, all right, there's the timer. We can go ahead and move on here. And let's go to another running back battle over on the West Coast, and let's talk about the USC running back battle. You got Marshawn Lloyd, uh, and you have the... You have Austin Jones, who's coming back from last year. What was that? Timer. 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 Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. No problem. Timer. There we go. (laughs) Um, So here's my thing about this. I like Marshawn Lloyd. I was very impressed with him last year when he finally really got healthy and had his chance to be the number one back for the Gamecocks for all of four games before he got nicked up again, and then they basically gave up on him the rest of the season. Hence the reason why he transferred out. Here's my thing. I think all of us like Marshawn Lloyd, and I think we're starting to count out Austin Jones just a little too quickly because this this is a case where it's like all of us in the CF industry like the same guy. So because of that kind of echo chamber there, we just start assuming that oh yeah, Marshawn Lloyd will be the guy. But like looking back at Jones after he took over for Austin or for um Travis Dye last season, he averaged in the last four games 24 touches, 125 yards, and his big problem was that he just couldn't get touchdowns. He only had half a touchdown per game out of those last four games, but like his stat line in terms of touches and yards was not bad. And so i don't think again i like lloyd i think he'll be the better i think he'll be the better back out of these two i think he has decent value in adp right now i think his, his adp is rb 30 uh seventh round value right now i'm fine with that value for the most part but at the same time like you have to take that knowing that there's a decent i think a better chance that people are given credit for that austin jones could still be the number one back here so nate your thoughts here
1: yeah, this kind of gives me flashbacks of when um, Eric Gray transferred in in Lincoln Riley's last season to Oklahoma. Yep. Everybody wrote off Kennedy Brooks. And, you know, I I was one of those people really that, that did a lot of that and thought Eric Gray was just going to come in and be the guy. And that didn't happen. Kind of a similar situation here. The only difference is um, I don't think Austin Jones is nearly as good as Kennedy Brooks. Um, so I, I – I had kind of written off Austin Jones going into last year just because I didn't think he was any good. Um, and I'll admit he did look better, uh, at least in the games, whenever I was watching him play. To to that, though, to, the, to, that, to my thoughts on that, he still ended up third as far as efficiency of the mm-hmm. three running backs that got carries for USC. So I think he just benefited from being in a much better offense than what he's seen at Stanford recently. Um, But I still question if he's really that good of a back. I don't think he is talented enough to keep Marshawn Lloyd off the field, who I think gets better and better each year away from his uh, knee injury that, that ended his freshman season before it even got started. So um, I lean Marshawn Lloyd. I I lean, I lean him pretty heavily here. I think he's pretty talented. um, And I, I just don't think Jones is a good enough player to keep Lloyd uh, off the field. So, um, I still think it's going to be Caleb Williams uh, Heisman Run 2.0. Uh, there's there's a chance that that they're going to want to get him the second just because it, you know nobody's done that in in forever. So we'll see. But I, I definitely lean Lloyd here.
0: I'm showing my age a little bit here. But didn't Lamar
1: win it twice in a row? No, nobody. But... Only one. Only one person has won it twice in a row, and that was. Uh, uh, the old Ohio State player in I don't know like the '60s or something. It was forever ago. Yeah.
0: Okay, uh, I, I was saying I knew Lamar wanted at least one year. I think he. I think he was a finalist the next year. They just didn't give it to him again. It's like uh, well, actually no. Bryce Young didn't even make it to the. Um...
1: If you live we're total tangent here, but if you yeah. look at Lamar Jackson's numbers, he was, I think he was actually better the year that he didn't win it. This, That's hilarious. That followed it up, But it's so hard to win it two years in a row because people just write you off the next year because yeah. like, well, he's already won it. So no need to give it back to him.
0: Exactly. It, it's terrible TV ratings for the same guy to win it twice in a row. Yeah. Um, back, back on track here again, USC battle. I pretty much agree with everything you said, Nate. Again, I just want to caution everybody that I think we need to be careful, take a step back and say like, Hey, just because we all like the same guy doesn't mean that the coaches are going to like the same guy. Like, we got we to gotta keep an eye on this throughout the spring. If we start getting wind that Austin Jones is getting those number one back rolls, I think we do need to listen at that point. I think that's fair. There's the sound. That's me turning off the timer. And there, now let's go talk about some more running back battles. Let's go talk about Iowa State over here. This is... Man, you had... Brees Hall, David Montgomery, just great CFF backs for years. And last year, we spent so much time trying to figure out, like, alrighty, who's going who's gonna to take over for this year? I was on Gyro Brock, even though he hadn't performed well to that point. I was like, you know what? He's the next man up. But I also did like Cartavius Norton. I took him in a lot of CFF Dynasty drafts last year. And now we're pretty much back in the same point. Nobody really took over that Brees Hall role last year is very much by committee, which is interesting to say the least. We haven't really seen that from Matt Campbell really in a while. I think Gyro Brock, again, the three names I have here on the screen, Cartavius Norton, the freshman from last year, Jairo Brock, who's been there for 1,200 years, and then mm-hmm. the new transfer from Stanford, Arlen Harris Jr., a former four-star back in the 2022 class, same year as Cartavius Norton. I think Brock's out of this. As much as I hyped him up last year, he had his chance, did not perform well last year. And so again, you just started losing out carries to Cartavius Norton. Deion Silas. Deion Silas transferred out. And now you're back here. I would lean towards Cartavius Norton if I'm going to take a shot on one of these guys, but it does strike me that they did actively bring in Arlen Harris Jr. into this in from the transfer portal maybe this is a depth move but again Harris does have more recruiting pedigree than Cartavius Norton does so I don't think it's quite outside the possibility that maybe he does overtake this role and he was being recruited by the other Iowa school the Iowa Hawkeyes another great running back school so Nate your thoughts here where are you going with this backfield do we ever see a Brees Hall again here
1: I I don't think any three of these guys are Brees Hall. Uh, However, I would tend to agree with you as far as giving a slight edge to Cartavius Norton. Um, I think we're going to know a lot after the spring and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be out of the question that this becomes a two man race out of this, after the spring, it wouldn't shock me if Jairo Brock just says, okay, it's time for me to, to move on and, and, and hit the reset button, get a change of pace, and go somewhere else. Um, so that that could potentially happen, even if he stays. I give a slight edge to Norton. As far as Arlen Harris is concerned, I, I know he he had um, a pretty nice recruiting pedigree, but man, I I don't know all the ins and outs of the Stanford running back room last year. But and and if maybe he was dinged up or what, but how does he only get two carries
0: after? the injuries that they went through in that backfield so that's why i think he transferred there from i'm not like an expert on this situation whatsoever but like i do remember catching wind of like him being really really mad that after smith and wilkins goes down they still won't get him carries and so basically he basically (laughs) said peace out after that like why like they were playing a converted safety mitch
1: Mitch Leiber, a converted safety, who actually played fairly well for a couple of games as they're starting running back towards the end of the season. I just don't know what that says about what that staff felt about Arlen Harris, but it doesn't leave me with a good feeling that he's going to then go from being the r b four or five at Stanford and show up and beat out uh, Cartavius Norton or Grero Brock. Uh, with multiple years in the system there at Iowa State and 12 years in the system in Jairo Brock's case um and win that job. So, yeah, slight edge to CarTavius Norton here if Brock does end up transferring out um then probably a pretty significant boost for Norton in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I think that's fair again. It just it just struck me that like we haven't seen Matt Campbell and Iowa State take in transfer running backs really. So They have not. So to me, it was striking that in a year where it looked like you pretty much have your guy the future, Cartavious Norton, they did go out and get Arlen Harris. Again, a guy with a pretty good recruiting background. So we'll definitely see. We'll go ahead and hit that move on sign. Reset the timer. And let's talk about two more wide receiver battles that we can hit on here. And the first one is the Tennessee wide receiver battle. Again, I think it's pretty set in stone for the most part. Squirrel White locks up that slot for the most part. Really good chemistry with Joe Milton during their times playing last year. I don't think anybody's questioning that. Brew McCoy third on the team in receptions last year. I think it's pretty safe to say that he'll probably lock up one of the outside positions. It's that final spot between Dante Thornton and Ramel Keaton. And quite frankly, Nate, I know you're similar minded of me here. We're, neither one of us are truly big fans of Brew McCoy as a talent. I don't think he'll be a guy like, Ced- I don't think he'll be as good as Cedric Tillman on the outside. So I am kind of interested in this other outside position here because I think between them and Squirrel White, you could have two CFF relevant wide receivers for Tennessee. The question is does Tennessee go with Ramel Keaton, who's been in the system for a couple of years, performed well last year? Or do they go with the talented guy in Dante Thornton on the outside? A speedy guy, by the way, as well, which is great for this Tennessee system because, again, they love their guys that can just beat corners on the outside in a straight-line path. Nate, your thoughts here. What do you think about Dante Thornton versus Ramel Keaton for that final spot?
1: Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. Because Squirrel White is the one that's different out of these four, uh, he plays the slot. It does insulate his value some so you're, you're kind of guaranteed that he's going to be that slot guy so I do think we may be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit on the squirrel hype um, I, I, maybe I started that maybe maybe Chris also started that I don't know but it, it does seem to be getting maybe a little bit out of hand even from where I thought it would end up when I wrote that article last year about him being a good dynasty sleeper I was thinking he might be like a 10th or 12th round draft pick this year. I didn't realize people were going to be like, yeah, I'm going to take him in the second and third
0: round. So you, do you know what his ADP is right now?
1: I don't know. I just saw in a recent draft, he went and Squirrel white went in like round three or something like that. So
0: currently ADP wise, he is the wide receiver 13 and he is going in the, like in the second half of the fourth round or the third round, excuse me. No, fourth round, fourth round.
1: And that just seems to be climbing. Um, Yes. So he might be a first rounder by the time uh, the season gets around. I don't know. Uh, but as far as the other three, to me, uh, so mute mute us right now, Chris K, because you're not going to like what I'm going to hear, um, but you've heard it enough, so you're probably used to it. Um, I think these three guys, Brew McCoy, Dante Thornton, and Ramel Keaton, are all basically interchangeable. Um, I think their value should all be the same. I don't think McCoy or Thornton should be going any higher than Ramel Keaton. Um, I think you're crazy if you're taking these guys before – uh, you know, round ten, um, even round twelve. In my opinion, I get why you want to because it is this offense. Because it's this Baylor Veer and shoot. It's Josh Heupel. Um, there's a lot to like about it, uh, but I think that the staff may see these three as interchangeable. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that any any one of the three is going to just totally separate. I will say Dante Thornton is intriguing because he fits this system so well, and that mm-hmm. he is a straight-line burner, deep threat, um, and that's what they want. They want to be able to spread the field and take the top off the defense so that they, it'll open up the run game. Um, so of the three, he would probably be the one that I would Im- maybe invest in the most.
0: Well, he is currently going third out of the Tennessee wide receivers. Again, we talked about Squirrel, wide receiver 13. Drew McCoy currently going wide receiver 34 and the eighth round and then Dante Thornton going as the wide receiver 39 in the ninth round. Okay. So yeah.
1: both of those are probably too, too high for me.
0: Yeah. 100%. Me. Especially I think R- we've seen Ramel Keaton's going undrafted.
1: I would. Yeah. If, if given the value I'm taking Ramel Keaton out of the three of those, because I think there's every bit as good. I think that he's got just as good a chance to be the best out of those three. And, and we're talking about getting him for, for pennies on the dollar. So 100%. All
0: right. Moving on. And Chris hated, he hated that so much. Oh, 100%. I, <laughs> I, I, I bet you he turned off the pod as he was listening to that because he just couldn't take it anymore. Anyway, one last one we'll talk about over here is the Louisville wide receiver battle. Again, why? Because it's Jeff Brom. We've talked about this before when we were talking about the coaching changes. One of these wide receivers historically is going to be in for an incredible, incredible season for CFF because Brom loves to feed one guy. The question now becomes, who is it? The one that people have really kind of gravitated towards is Jamari Thrash. Jamari Thrash quietly, in my opinion, had a very successful season for the Georgia State Panthers going, where did he go? He was the wide receiver 22 in last year's CFF. So you bring him over to Jeff Brom. You also bring in Kevin Coleman, a four-star wide receiver who followed Coach Prime over to Jackson State. The year after when Coach Prime and everybody leaves, he says, I'm not gonna follow him to Colorado. I'm gonna go forge my own path with Jeff Brom. And Louisville so interesting change of pace there but again those are two transfers guys what about the guys who are already there well Amari Huggins Bruce is still kicking around over there so Nate out of these three guys who are you investing in right now thrash makes the most sense in my opinion but at the same time we talk about some of these guys with the ADP values thrash is going much higher than Kevin Coleman or Amari Huggins Bruce your thoughts on that
1: Yeah. I, when, when I saw that Jamari thrash was transferring here, I went back and looked at his stats and you're right. You talk about the sneakiest top 25 wide receiver. Maybe that I can remember. Uh, I looked at his numbers was like, Holy crap. I do not remember him being (laughs) this good in 2022. So, um, yeah, I think we're all, all three are on level playing ground because it's a new staff and, um, with with Brom coming in there, uh, nobody's really proven anything yet. So I kind of do favor Jamari Thrash because he went out and got him, along with Kevin Coleman. Yeah. Um, but I, I have serious concerns with the Kevin Coleman. And granted, I get it was year one, but if you can't produce um, at the level that he was at um, there before with with Dion at that FCS level, if you can't produce there, I don't I don't know that I trust that you're going to be able to produce going up a level. Uh, to Louisville here so uh, that's why between the two of them I lean Jamari Thrash Um, so then it becomes down to Huggins-Bruce versus Thrash man I I, Huggins-Bruce has yet to do anything and all I do is hear about how great this guy is at playing football and I I don't ever really see it that often on the field Um, and so with Braum coming in uh, and pick and 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 hand-picking Jamari Thrash here um, that's why I have a, a a slight lean towards him I will say when we're talking about value here, I might actually take Chris Bell, who was a true freshman there Good last call. year. Six foot three, I, I want to say he's about six three, two hundred pounds. Um, he's got a lot of upside, uh, and I get it. I I I hear the same upside for Amari Huggins Bruce, and I don't trust him. But um, Chris Bell doesn't really cost you anything, and I think that he could he could factor in here as well too. But yeah, I, I lean Thresh.
0: It to be fair. Huggins, Bruce, and Coleman don't really cost anything either, for the most part, unless you're in like a super deep league. Because again, I'm looking through the ADP. I literally just like control F Louisville, and Jamari Thrash is pretty much the only guy coming up right now. So, and he's going currently as a wide receiver 17 at the tail end of fourth of the fourth round right now. So to me, again, I agree with y'all that he is probably the most likely option to be that number one wide receiver. But at the same time, we don't know that yet. I need to hear a little bit more for me to be willing to spend up for him in the fourth round. That just feels a little too high right now. But again, if it pays off, it pays off. Yeah, that's fair. All righty. We're just going to go ahead and turn off the timer one last time. Because Nate and everyone listening, that is the end of our show. Really appreciate you guys listening. Again, it's been a wacky show. Again, trying to keep up with that initial timer at the very beginning was fun. Uh, had to keep it, had to do it in order to make sure we weren't here forever. Appreciate you guys listening, even though I was tripping over my words through half the show, it felt like. Nate, before we get out of here, just remind everybody what kind of stuff you're working on, especially those coaching change articles. Uh, let them know what's coming.
1: Yeah, at least for the next couple of months, while spring practices are going on, um, the the main thing you can look for is the the coaching change articles broken down conference by conference. Uh just kind of gives some raw data into uh, each new play caller uh, at each program within that conference, what their history looks like, what their track record is from a CFF perspective. Uh, who, what coaching staffs they've been influenced by and and what their own coaching tree looks like. So just a good way to get a feel for kind of how that landscape is going to look like for each one of those programs with the new play caller. So, and then you can just kind of come up with your own uh, thought process from there on, which guys you think might be a good value in your drafts.
0: Quite frankly, outside of the CFF guide, which we'll be releasing in July Nate's coaching change articles are becoming pretty much the must read of the offseason when it comes to understanding what all is changing from last year. Because you can just apply what you had from last year. But quite frankly, some of those systems that we're so used to relying on can't rely on them anymore because of the coaching change. So definitely, definitely be on the lookout for those. I think, again, you have released the Big Ten and the AAC one came out this morning as we're recording this. And you started releasing two per week.
1: Yeah, that's the plan. Two per
0: week. Yep. So So definitely be a couple more coming next week. Absolutely. In terms of what we're doing here on CTN, spring practices are around the corner. So we're pretty much going to be over the next month. We're going to be talking about all the different spring practice reports that are coming out. Spring games will be here sooner than you realize. So we'll be definitely covering all of those. But in addition we've got some early adp you've heard me referencing it pretty much all throughout this show that we need to take a little deep dive into talk about what are some early values some early terrible values we'll get into that we're also gonna go a little back to basics on some things with cff talk about how to set up your leagues uh in terms of what kind of strategies you can have in terms of different sc- different scoring stuff we'll get all of that into it later but for now Really appreciate you guys, all of you guys listening out there. It has been an incredible show, really fun show, and I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day. See y'all.